I bow down. We may not do that physically here, but certainly uh, in terms of our heart and our attitude, that should be where we are. We should be submissive to the Lord, bowing down before him, giving him praise, giving him glory. I, I like the fact that song says, I choose to love him. I choose to love him. I don't choose to love the concept of who he is. There's a difference. I choose to love those that are important to me. I choose to love my wife and my daughter and my granddaughter. I, I, I make a choice. It isn't just that I think about who they are and love that concept of who they are, but I love them. And the same thing should be true in terms of our love for God. We love God. This morning, I, wanna, I mentioned it earlier, I, I want to go back to some of the basics of what we believe. I learned years ago that if you're involved in something, it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter how far you've progressed, that periodically you just need to stop and go back to the basics. Uh, I think of athletes, I, they, they really set the tone in terms of that. Uh, you watch an athlete, and if he's kind of lost a little bit of his precision of being just where he should be, a professional athlete so often have, have relied on their abilities, their strengths, their uh, the fact that they've inherited some athletic ability and, and pretty soon they lose the edge because they've lost the basics. And so a pitcher, if he isn't pitching as well, needs to go back to the pitching coach and they need to get back to the basic. A, a basketball player, I think of Steph Curry and some of the different ones, periodically need to stop and say, wow, I'm shooting this off balance. I'm not shooting from where I should right here. I need to go back to the basics. They go back and look at Clay Thompson. He gives them the basics. He shows them the ideal jump shot. You think of a quarterback, football. Boy, they've got to have that throwing arm down, and it needs to be delivered perfectly. They need to know how to deliver the ball, or they're not going to do well. They, uh, Garoppolo, I, I, I'm sure he's probably a good quarterback in terms of delivering it. I don't know that much or understand. I, I'm sure there are a few of you who are still thinking about the game yesterday, so we want to get back to God today. Uh, but uh, I think of Tim Tebow, and they said, here was a great big guy. He was strong. He was powerful. He was a winner, Heisman Trophy winner. But they said when he came into the pros, he did not deliver the ball effectively. He needed to get back to the basics and learn to throw the ball as they wanted him to. And that's true of our Christianity. I think sometimes we just need to come back and rebuild our faith as a believer and get back to the basics. And so we're going to talk about some of the basics for the next five days, five weeks. Uh, we're going to talk today about the fact of the existence of God. We get so busy talking about how to live as Christians that we forget that we're to love this one who created us, this amazing being, the creator and sustainer of the universe, this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're not going to get into all of that, but uh, just the fact that God exists, God is, uh, that's where we are. Next week, we're going to talk about the reliability of Scripture. Can it be trusted? You know, that's the one thing I hear from people is, oh, the Bible's full of errors, or there are... Uh, places where it contradicts itself and just a bunch of guys wrote it and, and they really don't understand scripture and so we need to go back and say what is the Bible about? We want to talk about some of the basics of the Bible, the fact that it was written by over 40 different authors, the fact that it was written by <laughs> over 1500 years, there's no other book like it, it's miraculous. 
And the true author is the Holy Spirit working in the hearts and the minds of men. And we're going to talk about that. How can we know that? What are some of these things that stand out? Uh, what's man's problem? Man, we got problems. All you got to do is look around the world today. How people get along with people. Uh, the moral values that we see uh, that are becoming a part of our world. The, the activities that are taking place. The, the family so often is, is broken. And what is man's problem? And then God's answer to that problem. That's the fourth week. How are we going to deal with the answer? And then finally, as we figure that out, <laughs> how does that affect my life? Because I'll tell you, if you come to know Jesus Christ and you have a relationship with his God we're going to talk about today, it will change your life. You won't be the same anymore. If there's truly a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't be the same. Because God changes us. God transforms us into something new. So this morning we want to just get into this idea of God is. He exists. When Moses met with God and God said, Moses, I want you to go into uh, the nation of Egypt and I want you to bring my people out of there. I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And Moses said, well, when I get to the people, you know, it's been 400 years since we've had much dealing with you. Father, what am I going to tell him? Who am I going to tell him that sent me? And he says, well, you tell him Yahweh. He says, I am. I am that I am. And uh, in the third person, that is God is. God is. God was, God is, and God shall be. He is ever eternal. He is ever existent. And he is the one that we worship. A.W. Tozier, uh, pastor, theologian, author, said, the most important thing about us is what we believe about God. There's nothing more important than that. It doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter where you have excelled in terms of your job. It doesn't matter what's going on in your family. There's nothing more important than what you believe about God. And I think sometimes we need to let that sink in. How does it relate to us? Carl Laney wrote a book, God, entitled God. It talks about who he is, what he does, how to know him better. And he opened his book with this paragraph. It was about two or three paragraphs in. Simply says, does God exist? This is the most fundamental and important question in the universe. If God does not exist, then people populate this planet by chance. There is no design, no purpose, no accountability for this life. Oh, oh, but if he does exist, then a host of other questions arise. What's he like? How can we know him? Why did he create the world? What does he expect of me? Actually, he says us. But you need to make that personal. Should we worship him? What will he do if we ignore him and disobey him? Well, if you go back and you look at how God dealt with the nation of Israel when they ignored him and disobeyed him. You may get an idea of a picture of how God deals with nations today, and that's a little bit frightening when we tend to live as if he isn't there. So the question is, does God exist? Or even does a God exist? Maybe we aren't going to talk about the God of the Bible right now. Maybe it's just the idea, do you believe in a God? Do you believe in a higher power? A, uh, an, a some type of being that is greater than who we are. And when it comes to the existence of God, um, I'll admit today I'm probably preaching to the proverbial choir. Uh, I would imagine everybody here believes in God. You know what? Uh, Gallup had a poll, 
and they polled the people of the United States, the American people, and they said, do you believe in a God or do you believe in God? And, uh, you know, just in your mind, think about how many said they believe in God and, and just kind of put it there. I'm not going to ask you to do it verbally. But how many do you think, what was the percentage of people in America today who believe in a God? Close. It was 92, it's dropped to 89. If you have a room filled with people, 10 people, let's just say 10 people, only one of those individuals will say, I don't believe in God. All the rest believe in God. We tend to think that we're kind of alone as Christians. Others don't believe in God. They do. The vast majority of people that you come in contact with who don't even go to church believe in God. There are those who don't, and, and we're going to look at some of the different views of what God is about this morning. Uh, the first has to do with the atheist. The atheist says there is no God. God doesn't exist. He never did exist. Just everything came into being by chance. It just kind of happened, and all of a sudden we've got all these com complex individuals and complex design in the universe, and it just happened. You know, i <laughs> I got to tell you, I could never be an atheist. I like the book that says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist because I don't. How do you disprove the existence of God? You had to be here at the beginning when he started it to be able to disprove him. You, you might say, I don't think there's a God. But it's hard to really come back and say there is no God. And yet there are those individuals today who would want to teach us that. They would want to teach our children that. We'd want that concept to be part of who we are. In a lot of our different systems today. Does God exist? Well, 89% of Americans say that he does, say that he's real, that he's there. The agnostic simply says, well, I don't know. Now, I can go along with the agnostic, I guess, because this idea that I'm honest enough to say, I don't know if there's a God or not, but most agnostics simply live as if there isn't one. There's no accountability there. There's no relationship there. And there are certainly a number of other misguided views. I just wrote down some, the idea of polytheism, that there are many gods. That was certainly the idea of the early Greek and Roman empires. In fact, they probably saw Christians and Jews as, as atheists because they only believed in one. And the Greeks and the Romans believed in many gods. If you had weather, well, you've got to have a weather god. If you have a sun, you've got to have a sun god. If you've got the earth, you've got to have an earth god. you have fertility, you've got to have some fertility gods. And they had all kinds of gods for everything. And that polytheistic view is still out there for a lot of people, uh, though they may not be real gods they're worshiping, but they still have that view. Pantheism simply believes that God is in everything. Everything is God. Everything's part of who God is. It's, it's um, the idea that, that God's in that chair right there, or God's in this podium. Or God's in me. I'm kind of God. You know, people that have a lot of self-love, I think they're kind of pantheists because they see themselves as God. I kind of put humanism in that place. We're going to look at that a little more as we get into it. Uh, panentheism. How many of you have ever heard of panentheism? That's kind of like pantheism. Pantheism believes that God is in everything. Panentheism believes that everything is in God. And I read this great illustration about the egg. You know, they like to use the egg for things. If you take an egg and you scramble it, you got the white and the yolk and you stir it all together, it's all egg. But if you have panentheism, you take the egg and you hard boil it. 
and you take the shell off of it, you got the white, which would represent God. He's on the outside, and the yoke is on the inside. That's creation. We would be on the inside. We would be in God. We're not part of God, and so there's a difference of pantheism and panentheism, and I don't know that that'll do anything for you for the rest of the week, but I thought I'd throw that out there. Deism. Deism has to do with the idea that God created the world. He threw in a few natural laws like gravity, and then he boogied on out of here. And he left us to deal with life on our own. has a lot to do with logic, very little to do with the Bible, but it has a lot to do with logic and how we're to live and what we're to do. And, and a lot of our early fathers, were told, were deists. They were individuals who believed in deism. Um, the last one I want to give you that's kind of a distorted view of God has to do with the idea of idolatry, and that's that we, we make our own gods. We create idols. In Psalms 115, in verses 4 through 9, it, it gives a picture of what idols are like. Idols are silver and gold. They're the work of man's hand. Man created them the way he wanted. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Oh, they have feet, but they cannot walk. They can only move when you pick them up and move them. They need to be dusted off once in a while, or they get a little dirty. They cannot make a sound with their throat. And it says those who make them will become just like them. Everyone who trusts in them. Back in 1 Corinthians, it uh, makes another statement here concerning the issue of idolatry. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5 through 6, we're talking about the existence of God. We want to get around to the existence of the triune biblical God, the one we have in the next week or so. But right now, I, I want to just give you an idea of these false ideas. You're going to get more of them tonight as you go to uh, the study on cults and other religions, and you'll pick up some more on that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 5 through 6, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on the earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, those things that people tend to worship that aren't really God, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things are all things, and we exist for him. Why am I here? For God. We don't exist for ourselves. We don't exist for our family. We exist primarily for God. And everything else falls in place as we begin to understand that and relate to that. There's one Lord Jesus Christ by whom all things are and we exist through him. So I owe Jesus Christ for my existence. I don't just owe him for my salvation. I certainly owe him for that, my eternal destiny. But I owe him because of the fact he created me. And he sustains me. It says that in another passage. Everything is sustained by Jesus. And so we begin to understand a little more of, of some of these false ideas. Now, these people believe in a God. They fit into that 89%. But their views are rather distorted. Positive view is that the Bible doesn't even try to 
demonstrate the existence of God. It just accepts the fact that he's there. You know, a lot of people would like the Bible to be a textbook on math or a textbook on history or a textbook on science. Uh, the Bible's never wrong when it touches on any of those areas. It's always right, never been disproven. Look at that as we get into the Bible. But it doesn't always try to prove everything. It doesn't need to. When, when Moses, by the power of the Spirit, wrote those first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he wrote all of those. Somebody finished up Deuteronomy for him because he went to be to heaven. But when we look at them, we realize that Moses started out that first verse, and I quoted it earlier, in the beginning, God. He didn't start with a, a let me explain to you now this being of God and tell you who he is and how he is and what he's like and prove that he's real. He just started out with in the beginning, God. And as Christians, that's where we need to start. We need to have that faith in the existence of God. We need to understand that he exists and he is there. And uh, the Bible tells us a great deal about God, but it doesn't necessarily try to prove his existence because it doesn't need to. And we find that the majority of people today believe in a God. I just want to take a moment this morning and talk about some of the natural evidence for the existence of God and some of the things that demonstrate maybe people try to demonstrate to prove that God isn't real. Uh, Genesis 1.1, we said in the beginning was God, but it goes on in that passage. It says, in the beginning, God, anybody remember the next verse? Created the heavens and the earth. God was the creator. Everything came into existence by God. Everything we have today, we have as a result of what God did, that he started that, that he brought it into existence uh, I really like Psalms 19, and people so often go back there when they're talking about who God is and the existence and the importance of who God is and then also the importance of the Bible in the last half. But in the first two verses, I read them earlier, it says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. You question whether God exists. You go someplace where there are no lights, and you look up into the sky, and you go, wow. You go to family camp with us, and you get out there, and you get out on one of the roads aside from all of the trees, get the trees out of the way, and you look up, and you see that Milky Way, and it's like a big cloud up there, and it's just a cluster, a massive cluster of stars, and that's just our galaxy. We aren't even going beyond there. There's no way, you know, we, we think we're so good, we got a few satellites that go around the earth and we put some men in them once in a while, we're learning about outer space. We haven't touched outer space. We haven't touched the ocean. When you begin to think of what the ocean is like and, and, and what's down there, they're finding new things all the time. And so it simply says, God is the creator of all things. And the the creation shouts out to us the existence of God. Well, I told you about a, a Gallup poll a few moments ago that says that 89% of Americans believe in God. There's another poll by Gallup. And they asked how many people believed in creationism. Same cross-section of people, same nation. Only 
10% of Americans believe in creationism. 50% less than believe in the existence of God. In other words, we have a God out there that a lot of people see as <laughs> is not necessary. I mean, he didn't create anything. He hasn't done anything exceptional. Why would we worry about him? 40%. That just amazed me when I read that. And, uh, you know, I thought, why? Why is it that people don't believe that God created the world? That's exactly what it says in that first verse of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. It's because for generations we've been taught that he didn't. We've been taught through our school systems. We've been trained with the idea that it's uh, something that just happened. In 1933, almost close to 100 years ago, and the beliefs were better than that, there was a document that was written. It was written about a new religion. A lot of people don't think of it as a religion, but it says it is. Humanism. And it's called the Humanist Manifesto, written in 1933. Probably the, the one that was the uh, greatest contributor to the Humanist Manifesto was Dewey, John Dewey. Remember the Dewey Decimal System? Dewey was a, an atheist. And Dewey wanted to change the world through education. He wanted to change how we saw things. I want to read just a few things for you. From the Humanist Manifesto. You can go pick it up offline. It's, it's there. But they wrote and it said that at that time, a time has come for widespread recognition of the radical changes in religious beliefs throughout the modern world. It's, it's time to change all this religious stuff. Time has passed for mere revision of traditional attitudes. We don't want to just shape, reshape it a little bit. It says science and economic change have disrupted the old beliefs. Religions the world over are under the necessity of coming to terms with new conditions created by a vastly increased knowledge and experience in every field of act human activity, the vital movement is now in the direction of a candid and explicit humanism, the worship of man, the intelligence of man, the things that man has accomplished. In order that the religious humanism may be better understood, we, the undersigned, desire to make certain affirmations which we believe the facts of our contemporary life demonstrate. This was back in 1933. It says, today man's larger understanding of the universe, his scientific achievements, and deeper appreciation of brotherhood have created a situation which requires a new statement of the means and purposes of religion. Such a vital, fearless, and frank religion capable of furnishing adequate social goals and personal satisfactions may appear to many people as a complete break from the past. In other words, they're changing everything. While this age does owe a vast debt to the traditional religions, yeah, we, we owe a great deal. It's nonetheless obvious that any religion that can hope to be synthesizing a dynamic force for today must be shaped for the needs of this age. To establish such a religion is a major necessity of the present. It is a responsibility for which upon this generation, we therefore affirm the following, and I want to read some of them to you. Let me just say that I said this is written in 1933. It has been reestablished twice, I believe, since 2000. So they're coming back. It's, it's there. It's been there all along. 
they give 15 statements. It's, it's their statement of faith, but I'm just going to hit a few. The first, religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. Sound familiar? Yeah, that's where evolution comes in. You don't need evolution if you have God. If you take God out of the equation, then you've got to figure out how it all came into being. So then you change things. And so they, he says, we don't believe in creation. Number two, humanism believes that every man is a part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of the continuous process. That's almost pantheism. We're all part of nature, but we're this continuing thing that's happening Evolutionary change. It's a gradual thing that takes place. A little further down, humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values. In other words, it does away with mysticism. It does away with miracles. It does away with anything that isn't part of how the human can see it, and, and, and we can understand it logically. Obviously, humanism does not deny the possibility of realities as yet undiscovered. I mean, there may be things that are out there we don't know, but it does insist that the way to determine the existence and value of any and all realities is by means of intelligent inquiry, by the assessment of their relations to human needs. Religion must formulate its hopes and plans in light of scientific spirit, and scientific method. If you can't take it into the, uh, to the lab and figure it out, then it probably isn't worth dealing with. We are convinced that the time has passed for theism, deism, modernism, and several varieties of new thought. The next one, religious humanism considers the complete realization of human personality to be the end of man's life and to seek its development and fulfillment in the here and now this is the explanation of, of a human social passion. You know what he's saying? You have no hope for the future. All we have is the here and now. The best thing you can do is make the best you can of yourself. Because that's all you got going for you, because after that it's over. You go in the grave and you're finished. You have relatives that die. They're done. It's over. No hope. What a hopeless thought. And yet this is the very thought of what this, this humanistic philosophy wants us to get a hold of. It's what Dewey wrote. He said this is what we need. In place of the old attitudes involved in worship and prayer, these things that we do this morning, the humanist finds his religious emotions expressed in a heightened sense of personal life. Oh, lifting my life up and in corporate effort to promote social well-being. The next one, man will learn to face the crisis of life in terms of his knowledge and their naturalness and probability. You got a problem? Don't go to God. There is no God. You just figure out how to deal in your natural consequences and what's going on. Believing that religion must work increasingly for joy in living, religion 
transhumanists aim to foster the creative in man and encourage achievements that add to the satisfaction of life. The humanists are firmly convinced in the, that existing acquisitive and profitably motivated society has shown itself to be inadequate. If you have a job and you're making money, if you're trying to put money aside, if, if you build up a business and you're trying to make money, shouldn't do that. And that a radical change in methods, controls, and motives must be instituted. A socialized and cooperative economic order must be established to the end that the equitable distribution and I think you're going to make this sounds familiar, to the equitable distribution of the means of life be possible. Everybody gets their share, nobody gets too much, and nobody's left with too little. The goal of humanism is a free and universal society in which people voluntarily and intelligently cooperate for the common good. Humanists demand a shared life in a shared world. Everybody gets theirs. When he was writing, communism, Marxism was a major portion of what people believed around the world. The Bolshevik Revolution had taken place in Russia, uh, in America. There were many people that were communistic, and certainly Dewey had a leaning towards that. Another article I read, Dewey once plotted a long-range comprehensive strategy that would recognize primary education to serve the needs of socialization. What's he saying? We're going to change the world through our schools over a long period of time that would recognize primary education to serve the need of socialization. Change must come gradually, he wrote. To force it unduly would compromise the final success by favoring a violent reaction. Implementing socialistic ideas had to be done slowly. Otherwise, those who truly cared about educating children would become angry and resist. Says Dewey was a member of many Marxist organizations and a totalitarian socialist who wanted government to take over all education via government schools. Dewey rejected traditional education and moral absolutes. Finally, Dewey promoted the teaching and the theory of evolution in order to pop humanism. Evolution denounces any existence of God. So, creationism. 40% of Americans believe in creationism. 60% apparently don't. And we ask ourselves why. Because the Bible says in the beginning God created. One of the primary reasons is for the last several generations we've been taught it isn't true. And you see, we as Christians need to go back and determine what the Bible says, and we need to share that with others. There is the witness of creation that shows us the existence of God. There's another witness, and that's conscience. I believe Adam and Eve understood a little bit the difference between right and wrong. They may not have understood all of the difference between good and evil until they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, but certainly... They had a concept because God told them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sure enough, they ate it. And then what did they do? They immediately looked at each other and said, we're naked. 
and they began to cover themselves with leaves, and they went and hid because they didn't want Jesus or God to see them when he came walking in the garden. And so there's that idea of conscience. Conscience is something that I believe God implanted in each and every one of us. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, and in the... Uh, 19th verse it says because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them we're going to come back to that in a moment but uh, there is that idea that God implants these things within the individual over in Romans chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 to 14 and 15 it says for when Gentiles at that time, the Gentiles and non-believers who do not have the law do so instinctively. All of a sudden, instinctively, they know there's right and wrong. They do instinctively the things of the law. These not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. It's been implanted with him, the, the idea of right and wrong. Their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts defending them. You know, uh, my wife teaches first grade class in uh, the elementary school in, in Antioch, in the school system. And she has little kids. Some of them come from really good homes and others not so good. Some of them aren't taught a lot of moral values at home. But they all understand the difference between right and wrong because it's part of their makeup. They know it's wrong to lie, even though they may. They know it's wrong to steal, though they do that at times. They know it's wrong to hit somebody, even though that happens periodically as well. They know it's wrong to cheat. There's all kinds of things. They know the difference between right and wrong because it's embedded in who we are. And that's what it says in these passages. When we begin to think about the, the existence of a God, these things should be something that Help us to understand that God exists. We're going back to the basics. The witness of cause and effect. The idea that if you see something there, somebody probably created it. That chair. You know, it's there. It's a great chair. Somebody just didn't go throw down a bunch of metal and, and some fabric and padding and the chair came into existence. Somebody created it. And even if they threw it all down, they have to be the first cause. Look down at your feet. Are you wearing shoes this morning? I hope so. They didn't just come into existence by themselves. But someone created them. That whole issue of cause and effect is a reality all through the universe, all through the created world. And man, God brought it into existence. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4 is a, is a verse I relate to very well uh, it, it deals with my past and my involvement in the building industry but in Hebrews chapter 3 in the fourth verse it says for every house is built by someone someone builds it you go out you look at the house somebody build it and I, I hope when you go buy a new house you determine whether it's a good builder or not <laughs> it's important but the builder of all things is God God brought it into existence. The, whim, the, the one of human intuition. Uh, I mentioned it when I was reading in, in Romans chapter 1 in the 19th verse. The idea that there is a knowledge embedded in us that God exists and who he is. 
In the 19th verse again, it says, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. How many of you, uh, when you had babies, you bought boards or balls or whatever, and there were, oh, just little pieces of plastic or whatever that would fit into the very shapes? You know, I think every parent has that. I loved it when my when my nephews were young. Uh, we bought a ball, and you would take these little posts and you would shove them in there, and they had to go in the right shape or they didn't fit. And we would time ourselves. Kids, little ones, never got to play with them. We'd take them and we'd open them up, and then my brothers and I would would time ourselves on who was the fastest at putting all these shapes in the right holes. But what we're talking about here, and philosophers call it that God-shaped vacuum. I read about it a long time ago, and I've talked to people who've come to know the Lord. And, you know, they, they strive to get to know, fill their life in so many aspects, and they struggle with it until they meet Jesus. And they find there was that special place that needed to be filled. And you call it that God-shaped vacuum. There's a hole in our life. There is an intuition that says there is a God. 89% of the people in America believe that there is a God. And we try and fill that through hobbies, through relationships, through <laughs> immorality sometimes. All kinds of different ways that we try to fill that void in our lives. But the only real way to do that is through God final one is the witness of personal experience. It's rather subjective. What has God done in my life? Some people will say, well, that's good for you. It may not be good for me. But you know, when you put it together with all those other witnesses that we talked about, and you talk to somebody, say, yeah, but when I received Jesus Christ, all of these other things came into place because he changed me. Your story is the most important thing you have to share. It's letting people know what God's done in your life and the difference he's made in who you are. You know, I have to admit, pastors shouldn't do this probably. I have to admit that there have been times in my ministries when I've stopped and said, God, are you real? I don't know if any of you ever have doubts. But I'll admit there have been times that I had him. I didn't come to church the next Sunday and stand up and say, I'm not sure God's real, but I want to preach this sermon to you out of the Bible. That wouldn't be a good idea. But you know, when I've gone back to the basics, to the very things we studied this morning, I come away and say, oh, there's no question about the existence of God. And then I go back to the Bible, and there's no question about the existence of the God of the Bible and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And I walk away and I go, okay, God. And then God seems to commune with my spirit and it's okay. There are some people that believe in God, but they really don't establish a relationship with him. They believe that God just kind of came down for a while and then when they had their needs and things weren't working out, God just disappeared. I was thinking about it yesterday and I thought, it's kind of like a couple that moves in together. He's there with her, and they have this great relationship, and everything is going fine until there's a problem. 
she gets pregnant and there's no commitment. And the feeling is that when she gets pregnant, he says, I'm out of here and he's gone and she's left alone with her trials. And when we don't have that real relationship with God, that's kind of how it is. And people struggle because they don't really know God. They, they knew the concept, but he wasn't a reality in their life. And the issue of our relationship with God is we don't really have that relationship the way it should be until we finally say, as the bride would, I do. I accept you. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are my God. I believe you exist. Everything demonstrates that. And wow. I do, by faith, I do receive you as my Savior and Lord. And you know when you do that? God's already said that. And he's there for you, and he says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. It doesn't matter what you're going through, it doesn't matter what the trials are, it doesn't matter what the issues are, I'm going to be there for you. But I'll tell you what, you have to have that relationship. First of all, you need to know he exists. God is. God is. And when you get that down, then the rest of it can begin to fall in place. But until you get the idea that God's real and he's just not a figment of somebody's imagination or an idea out there, if you're still trying to live your life on your own and control everything else on your own and that's kind of a humanistic idea, you'll never experience the reality of God in your life. But it's when we submit to him and give ourselves to him and Commit to that relationship with him that he comes in. And you know what? He doesn't just disappear. It says he holds us in our hands and we can never escape. John chapter 10. And nobody can snatch us away from him. You're secure. God is. I hope you got that this morning. God is. A lot of people that are trying to destroy that for you. We live in a world that there's, I guess, 11% that don't want us to believe that. And they're doing everything they can to take it away. But you need to know that God is. Let's pray. Father, you are. Not just you are truth or you are love or you are holy or you are just or you are all of those character qualities that are there. And I love them, Father. They're great. But just knowing first and foremost that you are. That song used to go, we worship you for who you are, not for all the wonderful things that you've done. And Father, this morning we come to worship you for who you are. Help us to get these basics down and help them to strengthen our faith and our walk with you. Thanks, Lord. We love you. I pray for each individual here, if there's someone struggling with that issue of who God is this morning, that they could be able to understand who you are by the power of your spirit and make that difference in their lives as they commit their lives to you and say, I do. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You'd like to talk.